unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and we're playing with some new technology for the video version of the podcast, so I'm excited to see how this turns out. And I also got a sneak peek at today's episode notes, and this looks like it's going to be an awesome show, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so uh, with this new software, everyone can see me and you at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty spiffy, and... uh, as we go forward, the video version of the podcast, uh, we'll be able to we'll be able to do all the cool stuff that like CNN and Fox News, not the brainwashing stuff, but the visual stuff we'll be able to do. Yeah, but will we be able to do the same thing as Cartoon Network? Uh, maybe we'll have to see. Okay, we got Pinky in the Brain on the podcast, so maybe we will. Uh, all be right, able we're to. we're halfway there. Yeah, <laughs> nice. So, what have we got lined up for the listeners today? Well, um, this is called Little Phrases, Big Results. And for many copywriters, there comes a point where you know you have the basics covered. It's always good to review them regularly. But what you're really looking for is an edge here and there, uh, stuff that gives you an advantage when you use it. And these aren't always big things. Sometimes a strategic word or phrase can give you a bump in conversion or average order value all by itself. Now. To be sure, I'm not recommending that you depend on these things to make that big difference for you without also covering the basics like good headlines, stories, hooks, offers, things like that. But experienced people know sometimes to get a prospect off the fence and into the customer column, all it takes is one or two emotion-charged moments during the course of an otherwise good copy. and. I'm really wondering if anyone is going to get emotional about this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. I'm starting to tear up already. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Okay, so we've got a grab bag of stuff for you today. And the main thing all these things have in common is they're designed to keep your prospects' curiosity and engagement high, from the first word of your copy to your call to action. I call our first section similes that sparkle, similes that sputter. And you can think of similes like adjectives on steroids. They usually have the word as or like in them. Now, a simile is not a metaphor. It's not, um, it's not a big idea. It's not an analogy. Uh, similes are, are much simpler. Uh, like you could say something is beautiful or you could enhance it by saying something is beautiful as a sunset. And the phrase beautiful as a sunset, that's a simile because it has as in it, beautiful as. It, it sort of sets up a, 
an equivalency that's usually somewhat figurative or poetic, not literal. So um, some similes are better than others. And for copywriters, I think the best similes are the ones that really create a jolt of emotion. When you read something and it makes you feel deeply, you pay more attention and you're more open to making a positive decision to taking action. A good simile can move you emotionally and nudge you towards action. For our examples, I use this book, Happy as a Clam by Larry Wright. And this is an author who collected 10 thousand similes and organize them by the first word. For example, there are 15 similes in this book, starting with the word solid. Solid as a brick, solid as a rock, solid as a tank, etc. Now, the similes that sparkle are examples of ones that have a particular type of emotional impact, which I'll identify in advance. The similes that sputter are not as good. And so, you'll be able to see a contrast between good and not so good. Again, we're not looking for words here to close the sale. We're looking at words that send little jolts of emotion to the reader. Three different kinds of emotion, and we've got good and not so good examples for each kind. Funny, meaningful, and disturbing. Okay, let's start with the funny similes. Here's a funny one. I think it's funny anyway. Dumb is a box of rocks. Here's not so funny, dumb as a hubcap. Funny, low as a spider breakdancing. Not so funny, low as a horse's hoof. Funny, smart as an outhouse mouse. Not so funny, smart as paint. Okay, so why are the funny ones funny? Usually because of the surprise or the image they create. When you think of low as a spider breakdancing, that creates an unusual and surprising image. You don't usually think of that. And it, and it is funny. And if he's dancing, he's probably on the floor, and he's a lot shorter than you are, so it's low. Low as a horse's hoof is really pretty dull. Dull as dishwater, in fact. Now, let's look at the second type, which I call meaningful similes. These create a stirring inside your reader, almost like a little dose of nostalgia, which bonds people closer to you and your copy. Here's one that sparkles. Enduring as eternity. I can almost hear the soap opera theme music coming on when you say that, right? Um, the one that's like not quite there. Enduring as marble. You can just hear it clunk on the floor, right? Um, here's one that sparkles. Gentle as surf on a sandy shore. One not so good. Gentle as, I'm sorry, gentle as sleep. <laughs> and one that, that um, yeah, uh, meaningful, threatening as a bank robber. Yeah, you see a guy, yeah, that's definitely meaningful. Threatening as a thundercloud. Eh. So what makes the sparkler sparkle and the stutterer stumble? Enduring as eternity, it sends the poetic part of the mind reeling a little bit. Enduring as marble gets the materials manager at a construction site sharpening their pencil and weighing the cost-benefit analysis of using marble to build the, the fixtures in the lobby. It's much more practical, but it's not that meaningful. 
Uh, you know, for regular writing, maybe content writing or journalism or uh, I don't know what. I guess those two will we'll do. Um, both types are good. But for copy, you really want to reach people emotionally. And if you're going for deep meaning, poetic language definitely works better. As a musician and a hip-hop guy, a lot of rappers love to use these type of things, similes where they say, um, my flow is hotter than lava or uh, I'm, I'm colder than a winter in Colorado. And it always adds like a, a little bit of spice, a little bit of flavor to the song. It's like, oh, that's witty. That's cool. Uh, does it have that same effect in copy? Yeah, it, it does. But hopefully you're, you're not looking for witty or cool. You're looking for, oh, man, I get it. It's, it's like, um, you know, uh, if, if, you, if you miss a tax deadline and you lose all that money, it hurts, man. You feel as dumb as a box of rocks. Mm. right you, you know um it, it, but it's the same idea you're you're trying to break the state of the reader from just observing or or you know considering the offer to uh. it kind of gives them a a point of reference to make something more real for them it does you know it 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 creates images in the mind and feelings in the body yeah nice. okay let's continue Okay. Um, the third type of simile is a disturbing simile. Sometimes you want to talk about something painful or scary. This could be for empathy or to contrast what you're offering with the alternative of not doing anything about a problem. So here are three disturbing similes and three that are not so disturbing. Disturbing, moaned like a dying hound. <laughs> not so disturbing moaned like a dove disturbing ornery as a mad wasp in a dry gourd not the disturbing ornery as an overloaded pack mule disturbing painful as stepping on a rake not so disturbing painful as being staked to an anthill you know the difference i think is how relatable and instantly understanding they are I mean, a dying hound to anyone who loves dogs is unbelievably disturbing. And the moan of a dove might or might not make you feel sad, but it's not all that intense. The stepping on the rake example, immediately I cringed because I felt it. But the anthill example, I was like, I don't, I don't know if that works for me because I have no idea what that would feel like. Right. I mean, what does it even mean? You know? And... I guess if they're red ants or fire ants and they're biting you, but the thing is, if you have to think about it, you don't have to think about stepping on a rake. If, if you've ever done that or you've ever even imagined that, that is pa so painful, you know, the handle hits your forehead. Ow, God, awful. Speaking of Cartoon Network, I'm sure we've all seen cartoons of people stepping on a rake. I'm sure. I mean, if, if I were, um, you know, writing or or drawing for one of those that would be one of my first go-to gag right so here here's a here's the point don't go slinging around painful similes in a sales letter you might not even need one but on the off chance you do you want to make it a good one so 
let's move in the second part of this. And these are a few quotes about planning and preparation. Sounds boring as shit, right? <laughs> is boring Not, as shit an, a simile? It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just used it spontaneously, but man, did that work. Okay. Um, okay. So listen to this quote. Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Think about that. Dwight D. Eisenhower said that. Winston Churchill said something very close. Some people um, think Winston Churchill said it, but he, the actual words were from Dwight Eisenhower. You know, two 40s and two greatest generation guys, or even before then, right? Old, old school war leaders. Mike Tyson said it a lot simpler. Everybody's got a plan until they get hit, right? And here's why I bring these up. It's not about fighting wars or boxing. I mean, it could be. And in a way, writing a sales letter is sort of combative sometimes. But let's not even think of it in terms of that. Sometimes people will write a detailed, yes, even a beautiful outline for a sales letter. And then when they actually start the writing of the words themselves, they find the letter ends up flowing in an entirely different direction. That ever happened to you, Nathan? Pretty frequently, actually. All the time, right? Me too. And it's so easy and it's so tempting to say, why did I even bother? The sales letter hardly looks anything like the outline. I don't see the connection. What a waste of time. What's the point? Well, here's the point. It's not the result, literally, you get from the outline that's important. It's the process of creating the outline all the decisions you had to make, all the focusing you had to do, all the benefits you had to develop, among other things. In doing that work, you're priming your brain for developing more benefits when you actually sit down to write. And you've already made some decisions you were going to have to make anyway. So you're not wasting your time when you're writing an outline and not even using that particular outline. It may seem like a wasted effort at the time, but it's not. And, and this fits in really nicely with our next quote from Archilochos, who was a Greek poet in the 7th century BC. I mean, you might think they didn't know anything back then, but listen to this. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Mm-hmm. Now, these days, the Navy SEALs kind of use that casually. I don't think it's their official motto, but it is spoken around Navy SEALs because for them, training is literally a matter of, literally a matter of life and death, right? But it's true for situations where you're, you, you're not uh, just a few bad decisions or moves away from your last breath. It's, it's important in copywriting. And, and here's why. Well, many reasons why, but here's, here's the crunch thing. I've been chatting on Facebook with this guy who's a screenwriter. I mean, a real screenwriter. He's a real deal. He's writing a feature film for a producer right now. Somehow he's come into our copywriting world and he is talking with people about his process of screenwriting and storytelling. And one thing he and I both agree on is that real writers write under pressure, often insane, unfair pressure. But if you want to do it professionally, that happens sometimes. 
That's just how life rolls, unrolls, develops, works. And this is why training and experience are so valuable. When you're under the gun, you're going to default to your training. You're not going to be able to, occasionally you will, but most of the time you're not going to be able to pull it out from something you've never, you're not going to have deep trance identification with John Caples or Claude Hopkins and start channeling them. Not too likely, especially if you're under pressure. You need to be really relaxed to do those mystical things, and I'm not sure they work in copywriting anyway. So this is why training and experience are so valuable. Learning and practicing what to do and how to do it before the heat is on is crucial to equipping you to deliver the goods once the heat really is on. A lot of times, even if the copy doesn't end up being exactly what you thought it was going to be. Just having that kind of idea sketched out in your mind or on paper makes the second part of the process a lot easier. Uh, they do say, though, um, all battle plans die immediately upon contact with the enemy. Um, but it's still good to have it and then be flexible with it and understand in advance that it might not be as rigid once you, once you actually start fleshing it out. This whole show is about little phrases, big results, and I'm going to even go shorter than phrases. I'm going to go to my 10 magic words. I used to do a whole, whole little webinar, seminar, tele-seminar on this, but well, I'll just give you the words and you can run with them. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. These are 10 magic words, and I'll tell you a little more about how to use them. You might want to stop the tape and write them down, or I'll just read them slowly. How's that? You, Y-O-U, free, new, announcing, introducing, magic, quick, guaranteed, how-to, and easy. So these are thought starter words. They're not must-include words. You don't have to include them, but they can really help you start a thought. Each one of them triggers some aspect of human nature, self-interest, greed, curiosity, the need to believe, impatience, desire for security, urge to see yourself as competent, and laziness. Those are all aspects of human nature. They, they might not fit into the woke handbook of how humans are perfect, but that's actually how life works and people are. So don't just forget what I just said. I just want to tell you why they're important. Don't think of them that way. Just simply see 
how you can use them in your headline or your copy to make things more compelling. I think also you said easy and then you correlated it with laziness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it can also be correlated with efficiency. Some people maybe aren't lazy, especially for our market. A a lot of the people in our market, a lot of the people that we talk to, they're very high achievers. And if they see the word easy, it's not lazy to them. It's can I make sure that I'm maximizing the return on the energy that I'm going to put into this? And that's what you call rationalization. The, the, The fact is, you can be very hard working and high achieving in some things, and you're just plumb out of energy for simple stuff. And when you're plumb out of energy, you just don't feel like exerting any effort, and it's laziness. But don't have any judgment about it because it makes sense. If if you, I mean, if you put an Olympic effort to you know washing the dishes and taking out the garbage as opposed to using a dishwasher that wouldn't make you a better person or a higher achiever. It would just mean that you're not allocating your energy well. So I agree with you. It's efficiency, but the the functional behavior underneath is laziness about doing things that maybe aren't high priority or, or high out, outcome. Okay. Yeah. So I think that like, if we were, if we were pitching a product to our market and the product was easy way to write headlines, that might be more appealing to the efficiency side, but if it was to the same market and they weren't copy or they were copywriters, but they weren't proficient at planning a honeymoon, the easy way to plan a honeymoon might appeal more to the lazy side. Am I, do you think I might be onto something or am I just trying to justify my rationalization? That you're, you're, you're trying to hold on that when people want to expend less effort, sometimes it's not laziness, but I'm trying to say laziness is not always a, moral defect or a bad thing. Sometimes it's smart and it's productive. I'm going to have to dig deep into some childhood trauma here to get through this episode, I think. There, there's um, a, a concept, I think it's out of Sun Tzu, that says, you know, the, the best general is the lazy one. You know, mm. the, the one who can think, but who wants to do as little as possible. But okay. We could say efficiency. I, I, after after all that argument, I'm willing to give in. I just wanted to make my point. I I agree I with your point. point. I agree with your point. I'm just feeling emotionally defensive right now because <laughs> I buy That's, a lot of the easy way to do things. So do I. So do I. I mean, I, I I often think of myself as the hardest working person I know and the laziest person on earth. I I don't have an issue with laziness myself. But anyway, we can talk about that offline because i'm sure people only have so much tolerance for our group therapy okay so anyway that's it similes that sparkle planning and preparation and your 10 magic words and i'll do the words again you free new announcing introducing magic quick guaranteed how to easy we've put a link for the book happy as a clam and 9,999 other similes by Larry Wright in the show notes. You might want to grab it fast because there's about 20 or 30 of them left. It's out of print and there's some used copies. I don't know how useful it would be for every sales letter, but you know, one of the things you're, you're taught 
in um, school about writing is never use cliches, but actually the a strategic use of cliches is very important because it makes your copy relatable and makes people feel like you're a real person as opposed to a school trained writer. Yeah. So many things that they taught us in school about writing, you have to just throw them out the window when you become a copywriter. You really do. All right, David, this has been a fantastic episode. There was, uh, I think these are like the little golden nuggets, the little, uh, decorations on the top, the cherry on the top that really can take your copy to the next level. So I would definitely recommend taking this advice serious and and thinking about where can you use some of these little tricks in your, and I don't even want to say tricks, but just uh, short phrases that will bring your copy up to the next level. Um, If people enjoyed this episode, where's the best place where they can go find more episodes of the podcast? Well, I would recommend copywriterspodcast.com. That's copywriterspodcast.com. We have all of them um, available now. You you have to find the hamburger menu so you can shift to podcast, and then it'll show all 200 and what, what's this, 218? Uh, yeah, a lot of episodes now. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.